Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Reacting to today's practice, the Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built Ford Tough. Training Camp 2023 is on air thanks to Ting Internet. If you live in Centennial, make Ting your light speed internet provider for as low as $89 a month. Go to ting.com slash centennial for more information. Uh, Orlando Franklin, I'm Chad Brown. We are broadcasting live from the DenverSports.com zone uh, on a con construction property. And yes, being brought to you by Ting Internet. Thanks to both those folks for making all this possible. Still watching folks stream into Broncos practice oh you were at practice yesterday and uh, according to denversports.com our writers there particularly Cecil Lammy thinks the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense uh, and the passing game may have suffered a bit yesterday (laughs) yeah Um, so lots of ways to look at it definitely a lot went on yesterday in practice. Uh, Chad, you know it just as well as I know it. Let's tell it to the listeners now. Mm-hmm. The first day of pass, the defense is revved up. They're yeah. ready to go. They're ready to hit somebody. That first day usually kind of goes to the defense, in my opinion, because you know their blitzes are dialed up and it's a lot of it's gap control with defense, right? The defensive tackle, you're going to hit the A gap. So where does the linebacker go when he's blitzing? He has the B gap. And then the defensive end, you have the C gap, right? So it's a lot less to, to really dial in, in my opinion, when you look at a defense. Not saying that offense is harder than defense. We all know offense is way harder. But <laughs> I'm not. I'm not telling to take a shot right now, Chad. It's defense. Typically on day one, those guys are just. It's a little bit more intense out there. Offense, you are trying to figure out the timing. If you're Russell Wilson, you're trying to figure out whether each and every drop back, are you comfortable with your feet work when you now go to hand off the ball, whether it's inside zone or outside zone or if it's a power scheme or, you know, a gap scheme, your footwork is different every single time. Trying not to bump into that running back. These running back are worried about footsteps and things like that. So there's a lot more on an offensive player's plate on day one and I always expect it to go the defensive way on play one. Now for me, the biggest thing is, how does this offense respond? Because yes, you did get your butt kicked yesterday. The defense did win the day. So do you come out here and lay it down or do you come out here and fight for what's yours and you try to even it up 1-1? I think that's the way it should be. You want to create competitive situations uh, the coordinators on both sides of the ball need to, in some ways, keep score a bit, uh, not just from day to day, but also from drill to drill to rally the guys up to try to improve every single day. And when you are got someone keeping score, you know, I was uh, in San Francisco and the defense was coordinated by Robert Sala, not head coach of the New York Jets for a coaching internship. And this was just during the OTAs part of, uh, of the offseason. And every single thing was recorded. What? How many wins did we get as a defensive backs? How many wins did the defensive line get? How many wins did the linebackers get? How many times did we punch and rip at the football? And every day you were given a score. And that gave you a mark to try to beat the very next day. So there's always going to be an up and down in a, in a process in training camp. At some point, the offense will move ahead of the defense. But at some point, the offense is going to put so much in 
that they're going to be bogged down mentally. And then the defense will now take over for a couple of days. So there's always this evolving process, but I think the best coaches find ways to stoke the competitive fires by keeping score, discussing it in the position group meetings, discussing it in the offense and defensive meetings, and making it a competitive situation. Yes, there's one team that we won't play this year. That'll be the Denver Broncos. But for right now, we got to find a way to beat those dudes on the other side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how it should be every single day. Man, when you have these great football teams, I don't know what teams you've been a part of. You've talked about your time in Pittsburgh where there were certain times where the defense knew they they couldn't allow more than, what was it, 16 points or something like that. Mm -hmm. All right. So I've been on, like, I was on opposite teams. And I remember, like, the Peyton Manning era. Mm -hmm. And it was like, hey, yeah, we want to make sure that we're checking this defense, but the defense is trying to do the exact same thing to us. And when the offense starts winning in too many days and almost creating like a long habit or a long pattern, your football team's not that good, right? You want that back and forth no matter what. So if the offense are able to win maybe two days in a row, you want that defense to show up and respond and at least win one. You have major problems when that defense goes out there and wins like four days in a row and the offense ain't able to push back or the offense goes out there and wins four days in a row. So hopefully we could see that nice back and forth over this span of training camp. Because last year, for me, I don't know if you remember this, Chad, I thought it went more the defensive way every single day. I remember where you had defensive players chirping Nathaniel Hackett saying, I thought practice was supposed to be over. I thought this drill was supposed to be over, but we got to go again because the offense didn't do good. Like, these are some of your veteran players saying this to your head coach, so you knew that this offense was kind of in for a world of trouble, and we saw it last year during those 17 games. Try to look at some housekeeping notes here. Um, according to Mike List, the Broncos have brought back local guy wide receiver Nick Williams. I'm on Pro Football Reference trying to find some Nick Williams information. Not finding much currently. I'll, I'll keep trying to dive into this and see if I can provide some context uh, to this. Uh, here we go. Seven minutes ago. Nick Williams. He spent some time with the Broncos in June in the early days of training camp. Uh, went to Cherry Creek High School, attended CSU Pueblo, uh, returned, uh, recorded 28 catches and 436 yards and two touchdowns in 2022 for his lone season at UNLV. Before that, he had 107 catches for 1,400-plus yards and nine touchdowns in three seasons at CSU Pueblo. So uh, we knew that there would be an addition to the wide receiver room to try to at least just to take some of those reps because of the amount of volume wide receivers can put on their legs during training camp. You've got to have that position shored up with bodies. It may not be guys who you're going to count on deep into the season, um, but you got to have enough bodies out there so you can prevent overuse kind of injuries. Yeah, Love this sign, and Nick Williams has, was here earlier in the offseason, so you're bringing him back to a familiar playbook, but you're also able to get him here right now. He's right up the road, right here here in Colorado. Local guy, right? So you're able to kind of just get him right back to the facility, almost like he never left. Um, so I like this, because now you don't miss a day. There's no wasting time. You don't have to sit here and talk about, well, here, we're going to give you a crash course landing on the playbook, and now tomorrow you might not move, be moving as fast as you should be. Nick Williams, hope this young man is able to capitalize on this opportunity. The Broncos saw it fit to, to move on from him earlier on in the offseason and not even give him an opportunity. Now you got 
your opportunity, young man. Do you now make the best of it? Do you make sure that you're on this football team come preseason games? And then you, and now you're able to audition for these other 31 teams? Or do you squander this opportunity and not take care of business? And now you're out of here in the next couple days. So hopefully he has learned and his approach is differently now that he's back with the Broncos. Yeah, hopefully there's a, a learning curve where you you get released and realize what you did wrong uh hopefully coach uh payton and the wide receiver coach uh coach uh, colbert gave you some good words to for you to understand where things went wrong for you what you got to work on and how to seize this opportunity and when you come back don't get caught up counting guys in the room because there are 31 other teams that you just said oh you can come in and not make this team but be good enough to make someone else's team and all you want to do as an nfl player is let me just get my foot in the door a couple other housekeeping notes uh cornerback riley moss According to Troy Rank, is the only player not on the field currently. Uh, Frank Clark is out there today, but not uh, participating. He's in a bucket hat. It's a little housekeeping there. Uh, Rami Bean uh, posted something on Twitter yesterday, which is pretty bananas, man. Uh, the amount of injuries in this wide receiver room uh, is really just three guys. But over the last couple of years, in 2020, Corlin Sutton down with an ACL. 2021, KJ Hamler, ACL. 2022, Tim Patrick, ACL. 2023, Tim Patrick, Achilles, and also K.J. Hamler, heart condition. Is there something going on in that wide receiver room, or is it just an incredibly uh, string, a bad string of luck for the Broncos wide receivers? I think it's a string of bad luck. You know, <laughs> I guess you could be a, a superstitious and say the wide receiver room is cursed or, or something like that, but... Um, these guys, for whatever reason, their bodies have not kind of been built up the right way. I, th- I do believe that how you attack OTAs, how you now go into the off season, those six weeks before training, six, seven weeks before training camp, how you ramp it up during training camp does have an effect on injuries, you know, and the body could be worn down over time. But at the same time, some of these ACLs last year, Cortland Sutton or Tim Patrick's ACL non-contact injury this year uh, Tim Patrick's Achilles non-contact injury right so sometimes you could just have that bad luck as well so hopefully the Broncos are trying to figure this thing out but also with that strength and conditioning staff if there is anything that they could do on that in that department to help these guys and strengthen these these tendons hopefully they're doing it as well all right with the injury to tim patrick marvin mims gets a a bit of an opportunity here as a, uh, a young wide receiver in this room what does sean payton have to say about marvin mims and his possibility of getting on the field as soon as possible that's coming up next Live from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Reacting to today's practice, the Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built for tough. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? I'm gone. Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest 
like a tribe does. Before this, did you really know what I was? Comprehend to the track force. Why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe was. Rock and roll. Welcome back into the Players Club. A tribe called Quest on a Tuesday morning. Can I kick it? Well, we're not worried about the kickers just yet. We got some time with that. We're worried about this wide receiver room. Chad Brown, Orlando Franklin, DenverSports.com zone. Live right across the street from the Centura Health Training Center. Folks still coming in to watch training camp. It's starting to slow to a bit of a trickle now. I think most folks are in their seats or on their uh, on the hill over there, Big O. Marvin Mims was the Broncos' first draft pick this season. Speedster out of Oklahoma. Now with uh, Tim Patrick's injury and K.J. Hamler being waived, there's an increased opportunity for Marvin Mims, and Sean Payton was asked about that yesterday. Yeah, so he's um, he's doing well. Um, he's feeling good, and you, you know you're going to see him more and more this week. He's going to be ramping up, and we're encouraged. He also talked about uh, Mims getting adjusted to the Payton style playbook. Well, chances are there's a new system. You know, it's it's unusual if they had the same or similar system. So you know how we call plays, how we get aligned, um, and then all the. You know, typically speaking, in college, there's some standard formations. I think the vo- the vocabulary gets bigger, and the library of where they line up gets bigger. Some of them play in systems where they're only on the right side of the field, or only on the left side of the field. You know, here we flip. Um, so there's a lot of nuances, uh, man zone, run game, um, and look, my experience, I, I, I've had players that have transitioned very quickly as rookies, and then I've had players that it took a while. So it depends on each player. Oh, you've been in part of those NFL huddles. Those offensive calls just seem ridiculously wordy coming from a defensive guy. Now, we got our own form of wordy calls, but typically once it gets too wordy, then we just come up with a code word for that call, just one word. Mm-hmm. So we take it. We take twelve words. We can put it down to one, and somehow everybody's supposed to remember what's happening. But I've you hear these NFL quarterbacks when they're mic'd up, and it's like twenty-five words. <laughs> I know you guys on offense think you're so smart, and I know you guys on offense look down your nose at us defensive guys with our one-word calls. But is it really that difficult? How long does it take for you to learn the library of words that Sean Payton was just talking about there, and then to put them into action? Because you. We're just playing, you know, you're playing right guard. You're not flip-flopping. You're not moving around. As a wide receiver, you've got to be able to flip sides of the field, flip formations mentally. The play is the exact same play, but I'm running from the opposite side. Therefore, you know, it's a flip-flop. So your mental ability to just kind of constantly go from side to side, in your experience, how difficult is that for young wide receivers? And you have a couple of guys in mind who maybe excelled at that and killed it. And other guys, you were just like, hey, man, you're a three, buddy. You yeah. still don't know this? So uh, it's it's extremely difficult because I'll, I'll tell you this, Chad. As, as an offensive lineman, you only pay attention to the call that, that matters to you, right? So And that's typically like for, the first couple words, right? So, like, when, when you get a play call in, right, they're going to talk about the formation, 
right? You, you already know the personnel. They're running in telling you the personnel, right? Are you in 11 personnel, right? One running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. They're coming in. They're signaling in it while they're screaming it out, out their mouth. So whoever's in the game now could get out that's not in that personnel grouping. So they're yelling the personnel grouping while they get in the field. Now the quarterback brings up the huddle, and he starts talking, but he will talk about the formation first. Then after he talks about the formation, then he'll talk about if there's any kind of motions in there. Then he'll start talking to the offensive line and running backs, right? Um, is it two jet or a three jet? Two jet is just very simple. It means the running back is going to the right and you're sliding the protection to the left. So he just made a call now to the, talk to the offensive line and the running back. But now there's a dot, dot, dot. And now you're talking about the combination of routes that you're running with the wide receivers. I think why young skill position guys struggle so much is because, hold on, let me back that up. So with that being said, for me as an offensive lineman, all I hear is blah, 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 two jet, (laughs) blah, 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 blah. And then it's on this. Right, right. Right. Uh So I didn't listen to the formation i didn't listen to the motion i heard the protection and what i was doing then i didn't hear the route concept and then i heard what it was on right so i listened to only probably about five words that were in that call for a young wide receiver you got to listen to formation then you got to listen to motion then you got to tune out the protection but then to check back in on the back end for what the route concepts are And I think that's why young guys struggle because it's a process as far as what you hear in a huddle because that whole entire verbiage that the quarterback is saying is not directed to you. There's bits and pieces for each and every person that's in that huddle. Yeah, it's it's a very complicated process. And as Coach Payton was just talking about there, depending on where you come from in college, I call a lot of college football games. Some of the route concepts are incredibly simple. Some schools run the same thing over and over and over. Some teams don't flip their wide receivers. You are the left wide receiver and you are the right wide receiver. So for these guys to come into the NFL and have to digest the complex playbooks, the number of plays, the number of concepts, how you could be asked to be not just the slot receiver or the outside receiver, the X, the Y, the Z, the motion guy, um, plus these difficult concepts. It's a lot for a young guy to step up into. Um, and so often when you see some, uh, interceptions in the preseason, it's because the quarterback is expecting some young wide receiver to be someplace where he's not. Another added layer to it is thus the fact of, yeah, you might have went into training camp, and if you look at right now and you pull up the Broncos' depth chart, right, if you are, you know, a Marquez Callaway, you're behind Cortland Sutton, right? If you are now a Kendall Hinton, you're behind Jerry Judy. But what happened? So you've been focused on what to do at that specific position, but now what happens when Tim Patrick goes down yesterday? Now you want to be behind whoever's filling that role for Tim Patrick right. because his spot not, might not be guaranteed. And you might be able to get up there faster where you can get more reps and showcase your opportunities where I could get to the two group faster. And maybe I could squeeze in some reps for the ones and steal some of those reps for from that person that they just put in there for Tim Patrick's place. So it's so many different components when you look at these young skill positions because you might be just focused on, hey, how do I make the team right now showing that I could be the best X receiver behind, you know, Jerry Judy right now and something happened in training camp three days in where now you might be, man, I got to start paying attention to the Y because the Y might be able to get on the field faster.
It's a complicated process. Marvin Mims, in my opinion, certainly possesses the skill set, the physical skill set to be successful in the NFL. Uh, I've called a number of Oklahoma games over the last couple of years, and I cannot think of a, a game where he did not make a big, explosive play. So Marvin Mims' speed, his ability to get deep, if Sean Payton is going to run the ball as we think he will, the play-action pass is going to be there. And a guy with Marvin Mims' skill set and the fact that he did it so well in the Big 12 at Oklahoma in major college makes me think he can be successful from a skill standpoint. But what I cannot predict uh, watching your college tape is how well you're going to transition to an NFL playbook and understand all the nuances that are going to be asked of you. Yes, because you, we all know that these guys have been running the route tree all the way. Marvin Mims Jr., whenever he started playing wide receiver, he started running these routes, right? A go route is a go route. A deep in cut is a deep in cut. These guys have ran every single one of these routes. What Marvin Mims has not done is push crack on a safety. Mm. What he has not done is now, hey, now I got to go do that to a linebacker. And I got to stone this linebacker because I got a convoy coming on behind me now. I got to hold up on Josie Jeweler, Alex Singleton, that's flying over the top to go try to make that play. Now, young fella, could you hold your ground? Right? So... That's the big part when you look at these young wide receivers. I'm not worried about any of these guys running the routes. These guys have been running routes for all their life. But when it's on the line and it's third and eight and they're coming right behind you or they're coming to you or they want you to clear out, how do you do these certain things, right? So it's about the run game and it's also about the passing game, in my opinion, for these young guys when the ball is not coming to you. Can you make it look like you're running this route to win because you think that, hey, I want to stress the heck out of this DB out to make it look like the ball is coming to me, even when you know that this is not your play. This is actually a play to Greg Dulcich. Well said, my friend. We are live from Training Camp 2023 in the DenverSports.com zone. Thanks to our friends at Con Construction, Colorado-owned and family-operated. Commercial, general contracting for over 30 years along the front range, ConConstruction.com. When Owen and I come back, we got the morning mixtape. That's next. The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. Hi, I'm Orlando Franklin, joined now with Chad Brown. This is our morning mixtape. Um, we know, Chad, yesterday was a tough day for the Broncos wide receiver room between Tim Patrick's Achilles tear and K.J. Hamler being waived for a heart condition. For heart condition, Sean Payton spoke on what makes the loss of Patrick significantly, significantly more difficult. I think especially with a player like him who's a veteran, who's who's so well-respected. And, you know, when I got hired here, I saw him. He was one of the guys I just saw every day because he was, you know, rehabbing last year's injury. So that, that that's what makes it uh, more difficult. But he did talk about last year's injury. So is last year more difficult for this football team than this year when you look at a guy like Tim Patrick? I think it's difficult no matter what. Uh, when you see somebody go down, uh, it puts your football mortality right in front of your face. It changes your plans for the, the, the season if you're one of these coaches, if you're Russell Wilson. Heck, if you're one of these running backs, who do we have a receiver on this roster who's going to step up and block the way that I know Tim Patrick has done in the past? So it can create a little bit of doubt. 
And then it creates a little bit of anxiety. Who's going to be this guy to step up? Because it's always next man up on every football team when somebody gets injured. But does that next man up have the ability that the other guy had? Can we still do what we need to do to win football games with the next man up? That's the question that remains to be answered. And it's going to be very interesting to see how this wide receiver room plays out post Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. When you look at Tim Patrick's injury, we just talked about from the team's aspect, right? Is it more difficult last year for the team versus this year? I want to look at it from now Tim Patrick's perspective. Last year, you're getting ready to be you on know, new coach Nathaniel Hackett. You finally got a wide receiver, Russell Wilson, and you tear that knee up. This year now, you got Sean Payton. He's tasked to fix this thing, and now you tear the Achilles. First, Tim Patrick, is last year more significant than this year, or are both injuries just viewed the same? No, this one is way worse. This one is way, way worse. Um, I, I think we talked about the football mortality flash in front of your face. Tim Patrick is going to have some dark days coming up in the next couple of weeks here. You know, you get a chance to talk to the players. Maybe maybe your agent connects you with somebody who had an Achilles tear and was able to come back. But you also know, and you've been around football long enough if you did Tim Patrick, Achilles is a tough one to overcome. And to be a wide receiver with two lower leg injuries in back-to-back seasons, will I ever regain my burst? Will I regain my explosiveness? Can I come in and out of cuts? Let's face it, Tim Patrick was not the most explosive guy to begin with. He was hardly ever wide open where he just ran some route or ran past somebody. His skill set was the contested catch. Now, if he loses another step or a step and a half in that process, is he going to be able to continually get open on the NFL level? So there's got to be some question marks rolling around in his mind where I feel for him from a human perspective, those dark days laying in bed, laying up on that rehab table in the training room, wondering if I'm going to be able to do this again. And considering his contract status with his team, with $10-plus plus million owed next year, chances are he's not going to be a Bronco next year. This is a very, very dark day for Tim Patrick. Yeah. PS2 comes in at number 49 in the top, in the NFL Top 100. PS2 was asked about this ranking, which he doesn't seem very bothered by at all. Yeah, like, I, I just let my play do the talking. You know, I don't sort of get into all the, you know, external stuff, all the noise outside. You know what I mean? I just try to focus on my craft and focus on what I need to do on the field, so... Chad, a couple years ago, the NFL decided to come out with their top 100. Is Tim Patrick being honest with his answer right here? Or is this something that now these young NFL players look up to? Even when you're in college, you're thinking about maybe possibly being on this top 100 voted on by your peers. Patrick Dan is uh, saying the right thing. Oh, sorry. Was I saying Tim Patrick? You said Tim Patrick. Yeah, oh, was Patrick my bad. Dan. PS2. Yeah, PS2. He's saying the right things right there in that little soundbite. But, yeah, he got back to the locker room when this came out. I was like, what's up with that? Because Tim Patrick, uh, I'm doing it now, too. Patrick Sertan, in my mind, is a top three cornerback in the game. Um, and when you think about the importance of the cornerback position, whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft, they are a coveted position. Now, I know quarterbacks are going to make up a bulk of the top 10 in the NFL rankings of top 100, but you would expect Pat Sertan to be somewhere maybe in the 30s to 20s, not almost in the 50s there, being ranked number 49. So I don't think this is an accurate representation of his skill set and his uh, ranking amongst the league executives. The players, 
there's a little bit of a always a skewed result from the players. The players sometimes can lag behind as far as recognizing when a young player like Patrick Tan has ascended to the elite level. I would imagine after this season when he puts on tape what he's done his first couple of seasons, that he will be regarded as a top 20 player after this. Last year the Broncos won five games. That also does not that, help. That they won uh, 10 games. How much do you think that that improves his rating? They're 10 games uh, uh, on the win side. Now he's in the top 30. If they were a playoff team last year, he's probably top 20. So, uh, you know, somewhere in that ranking there. But PS2's best football is ahead of him. This guy has done nothing but get better every single year. And eventually, the Chad. Yes, sir. You're a CU, Mr. CU. Uh, Want a natty out there? Yesterday, Dan Lennon was talking about CU's departure from the Pac-12, and this is what he had to say. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. You remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. So shots fired. Chad, what do you feel about this? Just as Sean Payton was criticized for the things that he said, but where he told the truth, uh, Dan Lenning will possibly be criticized for what he said, but he told the truth. He had, you know, my national championship was 1990. It is 2023, man. You know, we can't continue to hang our hats on something that happened 33 years ago. Um, I'm very proud of that. I got a, a ring with a number one in diamonds on it. I hardly ever wear it, but I'm quite proud of it. It has a great place in the drawer in my closet where it lives. But it doesn't buy the current Colorado Buffaloes a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? It can get me a cup of coffee in the boulder, but it can't get those guys anything. So to Dan Lenny's point, this loss of CU leaving the Pac-12, yeah, from an Oregon perspective, who Dan Lenny is the head coach of, they don't care. Now, is the Pac-12 most likely going to implode within the next couple of years? They should care about that. Not that they're going to miss CU necessarily as far as where they've been playing on the football field, but it does begin to lend itself to the eventual uh, departure of the Pac-12 as a major football conference. Why did you go to CU? Uh, because I thought it was the best opportunity for me to get the best experience academically, football-wise. Uh, Coach, Ma- Coach Max sold the Buffaloes program to my parents. And at that point in my life, my parents had steered me right for the first 17 years of my life. And I thought, I'm going to lean on them to make this decision, for me, or at least to help me make this decision for the next four or five years. And it turned out to be absolutely the right one. I live here in the state of Colorado. I love it here because of my time as a Colorado Buffalo. We won four Big A titles, a national championship. I got a job in my chosen profession. I met my wife. My kids went to school and both graduated in our baby Buffaloes. I'm not sure if there's a better college experience you can ask for than what I just ran down. I agree with you. But like it or not, we both come from schools that were dominant back in the day that have you know, went away from that dominance. And why is that? There could be many different reasons. I, I want to continue this conversation. But first, our broadcast from Training Camp 2023 is powered by Ford F-150 Lightning, all-electric and built Ford Tough. When Chad and I come back, we're going to talk about some of these college football and why, you know, a team could be so good back in the day, but yet get away from its dominance. That's next. One, two, three, four. 
from the DenverSports.com zone across from Training Camp 2023. Thanks to Con Construction and Ting Internet. Reacting to today's practice, the Players Club. Powered by the Ford F-150 Lightning. All electric and built for tough. Orlando Franklin over here at our uh, Denver Sports Zone. Uh, come visit us if you're out at training camp today. Come say hey. Come say hi. We're bored. We're hanging out. We're tired of watching cars just fly by. Come on and hang out and let's play some games so I can whoop you up. I'm joined with uh, Chad Brown here today. And Chad, you know, last segment we... Wait, 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 wait. You're going to be whooping up people in, in, in cornhole after the show? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yes, sir. You want to get it too? Is that, you, oh, you want some? Is, is, is this a challenge? Oh, oh absolutely. Is, is there a, a cornhole mastery somewhere in the past for oh, I need to know about? Hey, I'm good at all sports, dog. Okay. All sports. All right. So you just let me know. All right. Okay. It's we, all like Donkey Kong. Okay. Homeboy. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Both of us are clearly in training camp mode. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Chad, last segment in the morning mixtape, we were talking about um, Dan Lennon and just the head coach of Oregon and how he had his comments about CU, you know, his departure to the Pac-12. And he was talking about, yeah, he doesn't remember them winning and all these different things. But back in your day when you went to CU, 88 through 92, you guys won a lot of football games back then. Oh, yeah. It, w- it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, then. it was. I mean, uh, I wish I had your college ex- experience. In 88, you win eight games. In uh, 89, you win 11. In uh, 90, you win 11. In um, 91, you win eight. 92, your last year at CU, you win nine games. So after that, a couple years later, CU had a couple games where they had won double digits, right? right? But then since then, it's just kind of went downhill. The last time CU has won more, at least double-digit wins, was the 2001 season. Why does this happen in college football? Because you don't stop getting good players when you go win a national championship. Right. When you win a national championship, these guys are growing up fantasizing about becoming a Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And I want to go up there and go win a national championship because all eyes are on that program. But why is it your school that you're your alma mater and my also alma mater? Why have they kind of just went away from the hype and, and winning all these big time games in the spotlight? There is a multitude of factors that, that, that go into the decline of a program. Uh, going back to my time, well, gosh, which again was 33 years ago, the guys who came in once we won the national championship as far as recruits versus the guys who came in before we won the national championship the guys who came in once we had the national championship they wanted things to be given to them versus the guys who came in before we wanted to be a part of building something so there's a little bit of an attitude shift that i noticed while i was still on campus these kids they they, they were you know five-star recruits and they demanded the school give them something versus us I just wanted to be a part of something special. So there was a, even while I was there, even when that run was still happening, things were getting beginning to shift. And I think once you get to a certain point, how do you test your recruits' football character? Uh, the the awesome clip of of Ed Reed in the locker room at Miami. I'm hurt, dog, but I'm giving it everything I got. Those guys become harder and harder to find the more successful you are because the guys are looking for what the school can do for them versus what they can do for the school. So that's the 
difference in the makeup as you move up the recruiting ladder and you gain some prominence? And then how do you maintain your culture if you have less Ed Reeds and Chad Browns and more guys who are like, I want uh, all the turf shoes I can get and I need a special locker and, you know, the training table's got to be a certain way. So that starts to erode and chip away at the culture. Is that on the coaches or is that on the players? Because typically in the, the, you know, football locker room, the players got to govern it. I remember walking into the University of Miami and being told what the standard was by the older guys. But I also remember walking to the University of Miami and Larry Coker just telling you, this is not good enough. This is not how we win a national championship. So is it more better for a coaching staff to be the ones holding these guys accountable and talking about, hey, we're not going to give you anything. you got to earn it. Or is it better to come from the players or do you find a happy medium? I think eventually, uh, if you're not careful as a coaching staff, those voices who want the school to do something for them become become the majority in the locker room. So it's impossible for the guys who set the tone and set the standards uh, to be able to have the loudest voice in the locker room. And let's face it. National championships on a college level are incredibly difficult, and it takes a special mix of guys to pull it off. If you take away Eric Bieniemy from our run, not just from a player on the field perspective, but from an attitude, from a, uh, a, a leadership perspective, we don't win those national championships. Without some of those amazing players that you guys had in Miami, the Ed Reeds and the, and the Ray Lewis's and the, the Brian McKinney's and all those kind of guys, then you guys don't have those championships either. So it takes a special mix of guys to pull it off, but the decline, I think, starts while things are still, quote-unquote, still good and you're bringing these different level of recruits who have a different mindset about things. And then maybe there's a chancellor or school president change who doesn't want to continue to allow some guys to, uh, who may not be academically where the school needs them to be to, to be admitted into the football program. And now standards change. Um, and then maybe there's a scandal or two. We had a Colorado coach Barnett and the whole Katie Oneida situation where she, you know, she's not, she wasn't even a very good kicker. Mm-hmm. You know, that was unfortunate by him. I think he still regrets that to this day, but that started a decline as well. So it takes a thousand cuts to bleed out a national championship to where the Buffalo were last year one of the worst teams in college football you guys got the coach the university of miami we have the coach right so you and these two coaches they are known for their recruiting so we know that both of these programs are going to get the recruits you're going to get the five stars you're going to get the four stars you're going to be able to steal a guy or two from another school that has committed all year and you think that that guy is going to that but how do you get on the field right because i know that you've talked about cu and, you know, you believe that they win games this year, but it's not like some of these people that are just kind of blowing smoke where it's like, yeah, you know, CU is going to play in a big-time bowl game this year because of the coach prime effect. So how do you take those little steps forward in order to start making sure that you get there one day? Well, you got to get a coach who can bring in recruits, which both our programs, uh, your program and my program have now. Um, you need buy-in from the athletic director. You need buy-in from the school chancellors and the school president to fund the program and to pay the coaches' salaries. There's a reason why, you know, the, the, the situation with the Buffs, uh, outside of just on the field where they couldn't retain coaches because the coaches' salaries are not near the tops of college coaching. You need to be able to keep a coach. Otherwise, you're going to have the Mel Tucker situation over and over again. You need to be able to retain assistants. You need the school chancellors and presidents to recognize, hey, this transfer rule where we can't bring kids onto campus is going to really 
kill our athletic programs. So all those kinds of things need to be on board to allow a coach like Coach Prime to actually move the program forward and back to success. I expect the Buffs to be better this year, but to get to six wins, looking at the schedule, looking at where the offense and defensive lines are for the Colorado Buffaloes program, it's definitely going to be a tall hill to climb. A lot of people have talked about their predictions this year. I know you have given your predictions many times for CU this year, but I want you to just quickly give us over the next three years, where do you see CU going as far as record-wise, provided Deion Sanders is the head coach? Okay, I think to best maintain the momentum that Coach Prime has brought, a bowl game would be really good this year. I don't think they get there. I think they maybe they get to four or five wins. Six wins seems a bit too far. Next year, they definitely have to get to bowl eligibility, so six or seven wins after that. Now, three years down the road, you've had a chance to shore up the offensive and defensive lines, add in some of those more difficult-to-recruit positions. I think if you're Coach Prime, you show up in a cornerback's house or wide receiver's house, you can get that kid. It's a little different when you need that right guard you know, who's maybe not drawn to the flash and splash and swagger of Coach Prime, but wants a great situation, it's a little different to recruit some of those guys than it is the skill position. So this is where Coach Prime is actually going to earn his money, year two, year three, recruiting those difficult spots and building up the infrastructure of the football team where hopefully by year three they are an eight-win, nine-win football team. We're here live from from training camp 2023 in the denversports.com zone thanks to our friends from con construction colorado owned and family operated commercial general contracting for our for over 30 years along the front range conconstruction.com is it a make or break year for one bronco particularly chad and i discuss that next